Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Of course, go to The Athletic, pay for good journalism, subscribe. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to this show. Please tell all of your friends. We are properly socially distanced, Adam, this week as, uh, of course, with holidays and spikes in cases and all that good stuff, we're following all the CDC guidelines on this podcast, Adam. That's what we're doing. Yes, we are. We are in our own homes. Uh, not well i i have a new home but i'm not in it yet i haven't moved in um but i will be joining you on the east side of town so when we are able to be in the same room it won't take me as long to get to your house as, as <laughs> well c- congratulations to you and the missus it, yes it, it's your first purchase right it's our first home yes well congratulations we'll talk more about the stress of that later on in the show but... speaking of escrow let's talk yeah. about the players association <laughs> the riveting stuff so yes. the focus of our show today is going to be about what is actually happening in the nhl right now nothing I, yeah right <laughs> why, why nothing is happening how about that scott burnside yes. from the athletic is going to be a guest on our show today we will allow him to explain all of the minutiae and the detail of what's going on but by and large adam right now we are just at a stoppage which is very on brand for the NHL and that yes. they, can, they cannot come to an agreement. And, you know, January one has always been what this you know season was targeting. The commissioner spoke on Wednesday. We're recording on Wednesday. Again, Scott will do a lot of the heavy lifting here, explaining a lot of the details of what's going on right now between the NHL and the NHLPA. But essentially they just, they just have so much crap they've got to deal with, including stuff that's out of their control in the medical world right now. And so that's why we're sitting here, without anything happening in the NHL. Well, the NBA figured it out. Yes, that's, that's true. I'm a big basketball fan, and I'm excited that the NBA season is starting in less than three weeks. Uh, December 22nd, I believe, is tip-off of the NBA season, and they were able to come to an agreement. But as you said, it is very NHL-like for there to be the threat of a work stoppage of some kind. Now, of course, these circumstances are slightly different because we are dealing with a pandemic, but the nuts and bolts of it still deal with, as I mentioned before, escrow and salary deferral and all of those words that make my eyes glaze over. Scott, as you mentioned, will do a lot of the heavy lifting when we speak to him in just a moment. But you know, we are sitting here hoping for an NHL season starting January 1st, but it seems more and more unlikely that that's going to happen unless the NHL and players association come to an agreement, by the way, they came to an agreement to start the season again in July. Well, a a tentative agreement, but they had to, that they, they agreed on the framework of a new CBA in order to get the players back to start the postseason in July. And now they're sort of going back and, and renegotiating, it feels like, you know, more so on the on the NHL side, I believe, than the player side. But, you know, the likelihood of a January 1st start is shrinking. Um, and it could be mid, it could be mid-January, it could be late January, we could even get into February, but there there is really no way that the NHL can survive by not having a season. Now the owners may not want to play because there might not be fans in the building and they're going to accrue a significant, you know, financial loss because of that. But the NHL, which locks out every five to six years, can't have another season lost because of labor strife if they want to grow the game. And, and, and Scott, as we've said multiple times already, you know, one of my favorite people in this business uh, you know, we'll do a, a great job of breaking all of this down shortly. But 
you know, we are starving for hockey. We've already talked about the retro, the reverse retro jerseys. We did our tales from the Predators dressing room. We're running out of things to talk about. So I would actually like there to be a training camp soon so that yeah, we actually have yeah. things to talk about. Well, and, and you and I, too, like two of the people that talk more than anybody in the world about hockey just in general, uh, we could talk to brick walls about hockey. And there's still we're still running out of content at this point uh, with and I think the Preds have been tweeting this out like, oh, it's it's September. Oh, it's it's October. Oh, it's November. Well, oh, it's December. LOL. Like it's it's here. And uh, we we're no closer to having a season. So he'll give you a lot of insight. Scott will give you a lot of insight into exactly what they're negotiating right now, the pieces that they're talking about, what it could look like from a framework standpoint, structurally, travel, scheduling, all that stuff. He'll give you a really good insight into all that stuff. You've heard Adam, you know, you and I have talked about a lot of the stuff, Adam, that he's going to put a little bit more emphasis behind as, as, as one does when one is Scott Burnside. And of course, again, pay for great journalism, go to The Athletic. You can read all of his work there. We'll also get his thoughts on the National Predators as well. He'll give you a really... Uh, really good answer on what he thinks is happening with this franchise and what he thinks should happen with this franchise moving forward. So a lot of good stuff with him. We'll come back after the interview, Adam, and you and I will give everybody a quick prediction on what we think is going to happen with the NHL. uh, And then we'll send you on your merry way. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Without further ado, then Scott Burnside, fantastic NHL writer from the athletic. Here's our conversation. Scott, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time and sort of lay out for everybody, uh, just lay out the, the, the current situation, some of the variables that, that are going on right now between the NHL and the Players Association and I guess medical professionals as well. Like what, what exactly is happening right now behind closed doors? Yeah, it's interesting that we're taping this, uh, you know, shortly after Commissioner Gary Bettman was uh, speaking at a Sports Business Journal panel uh, and took a very, very different sort of tack in terms of, you know, sort of his view of where we're at between the players and the league and why we haven't got a decision on when we can start and how many games we're going to be uh, seeing played in the 2021 season and all, and all of the, the nuts and bolts of what a new season might look like. Uh, he insists there isn't a, a bid by the league to have the CBA renegotiated. And, you know, again, what, really what we're talking about is semantics. And I think it breaks down fairly simply. Um, the owners, I think, are, are feeling, you know, again, the, the pandemic has made everything so fluid. Um, and even though when they signed the CBA five months ago, a, a lot of this had been anticipated, right? They anticipated a fall, early winter spike on both sides of the border. I think there was an understanding that the Canadian border, which was closed at the time, of the signing of the CBA might remain closed for the foreseeable future uh, into a new season. And that certainly is the case. I think there there was a lot of discussion about whether fans would be allowed in at some point during a new season and how it would change from geographic region to geographic region. Those things are all true. But I think also what's at, at, at the heart of this is There are a lot of NHL owners who are feeling an enormous financial pinch. And I think the feeling is having already asked the players to defer salary, you've got a 20% cap on escrow for this season, plus a 10% salary deferral. And if if what we understand is that there's been a discussion, if not a negotiation, that the league would be in a better position short term if that deferral 
was increased by another, say, 16%, which is a number that's been out there, that that would be better in the short term for owners to, to get things going and, and to ride out the, the enormous problems brought on by the, the pandemic in the short term. Really what we're talking about, and I think it's, both sides agree, it's a question of will, you, will the players give up more in the short term and get that money back down the road, or, or will they not? And if they don't, you know, what position does that put the owners in? So, again, it, it shouldn't have got to this point, I don't think. I, I failed to see how you can sign a deal five months ago and then five months later without anything being really appreciably different that you're in this position where you can't make an agreement to get the season going. Um, I still think that it's going to happen. I don't think there's an option that allows the NHL to go dark until the fall of 21 and pick up the pieces. Then I think there's too much at stake. There's a national TV deal. There are a number of regional television deals. The league has to play some form of season. I, I think everyone agrees that to that. And, and, and it's a question of how quickly can you get over this step and, and then move forward? Because there's still a host of questions medically about whether the NHL, what's going to happen when you start to play again, because we're not going back into the bubbles that we saw for the return to play playoffs. So a lot of balls in the air and, and really not a lot of time to get things settled. Well, it is very on brand for the NHL to be flirting with not playing. It takes, you know, every several years, the NHL decides whether it's going to lock out or not play. So uh, it would be very on brand for them to, to at least flirt with the idea of not having a season. But you mentioned my next point, Scott. We have seen what happens when sports are not inside a bubble. We experienced it firsthand here in Nashville with the Tennessee Titans near the beginning of the season having a COVID outbreak. We're now seeing it with the Baltimore Ravens um, and all of the problems that the NFL is having. And we know that the likelihood of an all-Canadian division next season is likely um when we look when you when you think about how this season is going to go whether it's a a modified bubble or regional hubs or geographically aligned divisions to reduce the amount of travel what is the safest way for the nhl to put on a season understanding that the coronavirus continues unabated in the united states yeah it's a great question and and we've seen you know, we saw Major League Baseball at the beginning of their season handle things not particularly well. And, uh, and we've seen the NFL, you know, a lot of stutter steps as their season has progressed. And as we, you know, again, medical professionals projected this, right? Once it got colder in a lot of places, once people were forced inside, um, that they expected, we throw in the holidays like Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays coming up. The expectation was we were going to see a, a spike. I don't know if we expect it would be this enormous and this dire on both sides of the border, but it is certainly, I don't think, not a huge surprise. And I'm not, first of all, we, we're not going to see bubbles like we saw in Toronto and Edmonton. Players don't have the stomach for it. It's too costly. It doesn't really work for a regular season. So I think everyone agrees to that. I think the idea that you could have centralized tubs and have teams move in and out so they were like malleable bubbles, not real bubbles, but sort of quasi bubbles. Again, logistically, I'm not sure it makes sense. And, and economically, I don't think it does either. So I think what we're talking about now is teams want to 
the plan is to start in every uh, each of 31 cities. You're going to have a schedule that is more baseball-like. So let's say um, St. Louis comes into Nashville and they play whatever that number is, three games in four nights, two games in three nights, whatever it is, like a baseball-type um, situation. So there's less travel. Um, my guess is that they would um, – all the teams would go into the same hotels in the city. So there was a protocol established um, so that you could, in theory, cut down on your um, risk of exposure and risk of, of positive tests. Um, what also is different in every um, market is what the regional health people have to say. And we know in San Jose, in Santa Clara County, you know, the San Francisco 49ers are playing their games in Arizona now because there's no contact sports allowed in that county. Where does that leave San Jose? Um, again, in the short term, it looks like they couldn't have a training camp in San Jose. So if that, if that kind of order persists into January, whenever a new season might start, what happens to the Sharks? Those are things that will go market by market. Some places, like in Dallas, I think the stars imagine that they might be able to start the season with um, and whether it's 25% or whatever socially distanced uh, number you come up with, but they might have fans in their building and that will compare to San Jose. They might not even be able to play in their building. So those are going to be, it will be piecemeal what that looks like market to market. But I do know that's the plan that if they can, if teams can play in each in their own buildings, that is the preferred way to start. Um, and then I know that what the NHL is looking at in terms of scheduling um, and in terms of the, when you look broad, broadly, if you started in January and you finished your regular season in mid-May, um, that they would provide a cushion. Where there would be a period of time where if teams like the NFL, if, if games had to be postponed or um, I think the idea is you don't want to cancel games, you want to postpone them so that everyone plays the same number of games at the end of the uh, of the regular season, but you build in some time where you could play those games at the end. And who knows what the landscape looks like um, come May in terms of a vaccine, in terms of people who are able to access the vaccines. I mean, every day the news changes and the news often looks optimistic on that front. Um, but I do know the NHL and the players are building in a cushion in terms of the calendar so that they can play some of those games in case those uh, eventualities come up that you mentioned, Adam, that if there, if, if, let's say there's a problem in Nashville and the Preds can't play at home for two or three weeks or whatever it is, those games might be able to be made up in May. Well, and what's, what's fascinating is, is learning about the testing and then the travel and how, you know, you have the time between the two getting results. I mean, it's also complicated. There's a lot of structural stuff that's, that we're talking about here, which is a Canadian division. You're talking about three game series style baseball delivery of a schedule you know, playing it, it all, it's all very temporary for, for trying to get in this season, right? Shortening the season, maybe to 50 games or, or whatever, right? Is there any of this, first of all, do you have an idea on a time frame of when that, that I guess whenever the, the white smoke comes out of the top of the, the chimney. So if you have any guesses on that, we'd love to hear it. But really my question is of all of these things that could be put into place this year, is there any of them that the NHL or the players are looking at as maybe more of a permanent trial to see see how stuff works and say hey maybe this really works we liked a shorter schedule let's go to that in the future do you think any of that stuff is at play yeah i, I would think 
maybe a little bit of it. I mean, listen, in a perfect world, to me, you're playing and pick a number, 68 or 72 games. The product becomes better. You're not jamming in games. Um, teams are better ready to play in a playoff tournament, which is when you want your players at their best. But no one's going to give up. We're, we're in a situation now where the players and the owners share the revenue 50-50. Um, no one's going to want to give up games. No one's going to want to shorten. In a, once we return to normal, no one's going to want to shorten the schedule by 10 games. That's just not going to happen, sadly. Um, I think what might be interesting, though, is and especially we know the salary cap is going to be flat and at $81.5 million um, for the foreseeable future. And depending on, you know, it may be longer than anyone expected it was going to take to, for, for revenues to come back and things to get back to normal economically. Um, but maybe something like um, the playing this baseball style uh, schedule. So instead of you know, teams flying into Calgary and then going to Edmonton, and then going to Vancouver and then going home after four or five days, that maybe you take a longer time, you play multiple games in those cities, therefore you cut your travel costs down, your, you know, the, those costs are enormous. So uh, maybe those are the kinds of things that the NHL looks at with the players and says, geez, we can save even if it's a 5% or something like that. Uh, by doing that, maybe you modify your schedule that way. Um, I really think a lot of what we're talking about though especially with the Canadian division and um, you know smashing all the teams especially the concentration of teams from the, the Midwest to the Northeast smashing all those teams together and dividing them up into uh, what would be the two divisions um, I really I don't see that as a long-term thing we already know that Arizona is going to go into the central when Seattle comes in and I, I don't see I, I just see this as let's try and make something happened. Let's get through this. Um, the importance of playing a season. So you close out your national television deal, all the regional television deals get, um, you satisfy them. And then next summer, fall, Seattle comes in, the expansion money goes to the owners, $650 million. It's a huge windfall um, for the 30 teams. Vegas doesn't get a cut of that. Um, and then you can, and then you start, fresh. So I, I think that's really what we're at because when you think ahead, it's so critical to play because now in 21-22, not only does Seattle come in, um, you have the Olympics in Beijing in the spring of, or not spring, but the mid-winter of, of 22, which the NHL has agreed to allow players to go back and play. And so it, it's so critical that this happens now to set up a return to normal and a return to the Olympics and the 32nd team, all those kinds of things. So it, it really is a domino kind of thing. And in terms of the timing, honestly, like if, if you really are, you know, Gary Bettman said today that he still, you know, that January 1st is still something that's out there. Well, then things need to get done literally within the next 48, 72 hours. That would be my guess to get players back into town, set up a protocol for training camp. You need at least two weeks for that. You know, the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs and they were told that they would have additional time to get on the ice and, you know, try and get back up to speed. Those are, you know, those seven teams haven't played since March, whenever it was, 10th, 11th, 12th, whenever they played their final games. Um, so there's a lot to be done in a short period of time if it's going to happen. I think a lot of people now believe it's more likely you start training camp January 1st, begin to play mid-January and 
then you're looking at 48 games. But when you do that, tighten the window on when you can get things done because the Olympics take place, the Summer Olympics take place, I think it's the 23rd of July, NBC is the carrier. So you know you don't have you don't have a limitless runway like you did this summer to play the playoffs. You got to get it done. So a lot to get done in a short period of time. Scott, well, we are a very athletic friendly podcast here, of course. So we want to get you out of here on an on ice question because we're talking a lot about contract negotiations and escrow and salary deferrals and all those wonderful, interesting things. But I, I want to get your opinion on, of course, the, the Nashville Predators. And, and there have been a couple of stories that we've written at The Athletic over the past several weeks that don't necessarily paint the Predators' future in a positive light. The uh, front office rankings uh, that we did, the Predators came in 24th, which is a precipitous fall. In 2017, they were first in the front office rankings poll. Now they're 24th. Um, in the uh, future power rankings that we did within the past couple of weeks, the Predators were in 25th out of 31, projecting the team out to the 23-24 season. Braden and I have spent a lot of time discussing this. I, I know that you ha have been critical of the direction the Predators have gone in, in over the past several years since appearing in the Stanley Cup final I feel like we're we're reaching a, a critical point in the, a critical juncture in, in the in the direction of this franchise, not just on the ice, but I think at all levels, including management. I mean, at, at what point do you think? At what point do you think the Predators, you know, are going to have to make a franchise-altering decision if they do not win a Stanley Cup? Is it after this season, or do they or do they punt until? the next full 82 game season, because at this point we know the predators made a lot of moves this off season. They, they let go of a lot of veterans, Nick Bonino, Mikhail Granlin, Craig Smith. They bought out Kyle Turris, but the core remains Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Ryan Johansson, Matthew Shane. Um, you know, I, at what point do you feel like push is really going to come is going to come to shove for not just this core group, but the front office as well. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I mean, listen, I'm not surprised that that when you go back to 17 and and really the you know the halcyon days of that summer and you know having been there on Broadway and oh my like was I can't recall a greater Stanley Cup vibe than that June of, of 17. It was it was remarkable and it was a remarkable achievement for a franchise you know that had been through so much and that had really worked so hard and and you know teetering on the edge back in the day on whether they were even going to survive in Nashville and then to do so many things right for so long. Um, and maybe this is just the natural evolution of life in sports. And, you know, look around the NHL, whether it's Detroit or Los Angeles, Chicago, all of these teams have gone through um, periods where you rise to the top and then you sink. And it's a question of how far you sink. And the problem for the Preds, of course, is that you rise to the very close, close to the top, but don't quite get there. And, and I'm surprised at what has happened with that team since 17. Um, but, the, but the proof is in, in any kind of metric, right? The points of the standings, the eye test on how they play. And I thought David Poyle, I give him all kinds of credit because when you, when you acknowledge that, 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 and I'm paraphrasing him now, that this is a team that seems to have gotten away from their identity, for who they are. Why, what kind of team, you know, for me, the Nashville Predators have always been that, blue collar, hardworking team. And 
yes, he never spent, you know, didn't have the money, but they worked hard. And, and then the pendulum swung, right? I mean, all kinds of skill have, you know, have, have come in the door in the last four or five years. Um, and, and it hasn't yielded the results that, that it should have. And so you wonder if you've lost your way philosophically, leadership wise, all those kinds of things. You know, you, you make a, a hard choice in firing Peter Laviolette. It's a guy who, you know, my mind probably going to the Hall of Fame someday. Um, it's be fascinating to see how he makes uh, in Washington, where he takes the place of an old Nashville coach and Barry Trotz. I, I really like John Hines a lot. I love how he approaches the game. I think my sense is this is a Preds team. I think they have the third most cap space left right now in the NHL. It's up there. And my sure. sense is that by stripping it down a little bit, that maybe the hope is you get back to that work harder, be better prepared, be, you know, you, let's, let's not just assume you can outskill some team, even though you have a lot of skills. So, you know, I don't, I don't know whether it works or not. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if the right people are there. And this is, you know, honestly, I think this season's a referendum for a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, Matt Duchesne, um, you know, listen, Roman Yossi's tremendous in full value for winning the Norris. Um, you know, Philip Forsberg, um, Ryan Johansson, uh, you know, listen, Ryan Ellis went through, uh, you know, concussion that really set him back and really set the team back uh, on starting with the, the hit from Corey Perry on mm-hmm. January 1st. But this is a team that has to prove itself. And, and it's going to be, it's touch and go, I think, because, we also have to know, is UC Saros the guy? Because I think it's fair to say that it's not Pekka Rene's team anymore. And that to expect him to play, six, you know, not 60 games, but whatever, play, you know, 70% of the Preds games and lead them in the way that he did in the past, those days seem to have been gone. And you can't, hey, the goal, you know, you got to, what's that future look like? So I, there are a lot of things in the air with this team and, and it will be, I don't think you can make these kinds of, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, and ultimately it's at some point David Boyle will, won't be the GM there. Right. I mean, it's, it, that's just going to be life, but I don't know if you can make those kinds of decisions based on what happened, you know, in 1920 slash what will happen in 2021. But um, this is a team that has been disappointing and it's been disappointing to watch them because it, it, you know, they, they have let opportunities slide by them because they're a better team than what they have shown on the ice. And, and that means that everyone has to be called to account for it from GM to coach and certainly to every single player in that room. Scott, awesome stuff. Love talking with you as someone who has a four-year-old daughter who was going to learn how to skate this winter. If we didn't have a pandemic, I, she's been asking me about trying to learn to skate all winter long and we've got no place to really go do that. So uh, as someone who's got a four-year-old who's in love with the National Predators, uh, keep beating the drum, of course. Great story up on The Athletic right now. How to get more women behind the bench inside an NHL coach development push. Uh, please keep beating the drum because um, it's, it's needed out there and we do appreciate your time and uh, obviously love the insight. Thank you. I will say this, though. It was, what, 25 degrees this morning in Nashville? So you could easily <laughs> make a frozen pond outside of your in your backyard. Yeah. Not sure how long That's it right. will last. As, as someone from Wisconsin originally, the ground needs to be a lot colder, a lot longer <laughs> for, for that to work. But you're right. I could try. Sure. Just throw her out there, see if it works. Thank you, Scott. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Scott, so Thanks, much. Scott. We do appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. 
Special thanks to Scott Burnside for joining us, of course, here on the Gold Standard. We do appreciate his time uh, on the podcast. So, Adam, you heard him there explain all of this stuff. It's very complicated. I, I think a lot of it hinges on the the new television contract that, are, that is coming up and, and how big of a deal that is for the NHL and how big of a deal that is for the league, like you said, that needs to grow the game right now. They cannot afford as a league, the players, the owners. I don't really care about the owners, frankly, in any sport. I, they have tons of money. Uh, yes, I don't have much sympathy for millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, it, I, okay. I'm sorry. I just don't. I, I'm with you on that one. So when the owners say, oh, we're going to take a small loss, I'm like, yeah, you still own the you still own the Maple Leafs. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> whatever. But but again, it's all part. It's all things that need to be considered. I think it's interesting just looking at this. To me, again, it's this league cannot afford a, a, a long window where they don't exist in the sports landscape that is constantly changing, where you're constantly fighting for, for people's attention and, and coming up a hugely important television negotiation for the entire league. They can't afford it. They have to have hockey. They, they have to have hockey. Yes, they do. And I will just say this, that I think the class that I got my lowest grade in, in college was microeconomics. So you're asking the wrong guy <laughs> to break down economics of any kind, whether micro or macro. But the thing that stuck out to me from our conversation with Scott was how it's just how the season is going to go. He mentioned that the hope is that the teams can play in their own buildings. And I'm not necessarily sure how that's going to work because we've seen, we we've referenced the NFL. We saw it right here in Nashville with the Titans at the beginning of the season. We're seeing it right now with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think some NBA teams that are getting ready for training camp have some players already who are sequestered after testing positive for COVID-19. So this idea of, of travel, this idea of playing it in locales where, where the coronavirus is spiking, it, it doesn't seem like a great idea. And I understand what Scott was saying, that the bubble was sort of a one-time thing. It was great. The NHL, as we know, not one positive COVID-19 test in, in any of the bubbles, the Western Conference bubble in Edmonton, the Eastern Conference bubble in Toronto, and then when the conference finals shifted to Edmonton, no COVID-19 positive tests. It was a fabulous job by the NHL. Uh, you know, to get to get that postseason off without any issues. And I understand the players do not want that to happen again because they were away from their families for a long period of time. It, I think it's, the Tampa, it's, a, it's a hard ask. I think the Tampa Bay hard Lightning ask. were in were in the bubble for more than two months before winning the Stanley Cup. So when, do, do you, you know, think, let me ask you this. Do you, do you think it works? Because we know we've talked about the Canadian division. We've talked about the divisions breaking up. We've talked about the scheduling. Scott alluded to that as well. Do, do you think it works if you just take because again, you're going to try to get 82 games in. That's not going to happen, the, I don't think. Right, but so you so you start with 82 regularly, and then you work your way down from there, both in number yes. and in organizational structure, and in travel and in divisions, and you start whittling it down. And there is a could there be a chance that we end up, and this might be where we get to the predictions on what we think is going to happen here, Adam. There could be a chance that we have maybe a 35 game season where you play only the teams in your division in a bubble. And for Nashville, that could be like Atlanta <laughs> or, or, or something. You know what I mean? Like where Scott that, lives, by the way. So that would you're, be, you're just, that would be great but, for him. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. you're just going to, you're going to start broad and you're just going to keep whittling it down until all of a sudden it's Nashville, Chicago, Columbus, Carolina, you, you know, Florida. Right. Th- th- these are the eight teams and they're all going to play only each other. And they're all going to play in Nashville 
or, or something. I mean, like I that. think that would be I, well. First of all, I think the NHL would not like to get any lower at the absolute minimum forty eight games, which was what they played in the lockout shortened 2012-2013 season. So I, I think bare minimum that's what they would want to play. You know, of course, the, the more games, the better. But the reason they're doing an all Canadian division, of course, is because the border is closed. So you know, I you know I like the idea of trying to minimize the amount of travel as possible. And that means that you don't want the predators traveling all over the United States, you know, keep it as close to home as possible. And so, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think this is going to happen, but I like the idea as you, as you stated of regionalized divisions and you're only playing those teams. So, you know, that you're only, if you're the predators, you know, you're only going to Chicago, Columbus, Florida, Tampa Bay, Detroit, whatever. You know, I, I think I think that's good, but because I'm just I'm just not confident that this season the United if it's free travel within the United States, basically for the teams that are in the United States, I'm not sure that we're going to get through that season without a spike in, in cases. So for me, my preference would be whatever way they can play a season with the least amount of travel possible. And you, I mean, look, I understand, yeah, I, agree. I understand that. You know, the players don't want to be in the bubble. And, you know, I get that. And I know that these players are, are being responsible. You know, not every player are the, is the quarter. It's not the quarterback room from the Denver Broncos, you know, not not wearing or masks. The, or the locker room from the Saints or whatever. Or the, Don't hate on the Saints. The Saints, by the way, my favorite team, took advantage of oh, that quarterbackless okay. Denver Broncos team <laughs> last week. I was completely fine with that. How'd you, how'd you end up a Saints fan? My like, sister, Alyssa, my older sister, Alyssa, uh, is a graduate of Tulane University in New Orleans. Um, she was a freshman in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina came in, of course, ravaged New Orleans, canceled the first semester of her freshman year. So my first game as a Saints fan was, the, was their triumphant return to the Superdome against the Atlanta oh, Falcons. That, that was Steve Gleason. That was the Steve yeah. Gleason game. Yes. Uh, of course. Wow, you were there? I was not there, but that was the first game of my Saints fandom was oh, that I game against the Falcons. So it's been almost 15 okay. years. All right, that um, counts. That yes. counts. And then you got to, you got to, you didn't sit through all the paper bags in the 70s and 80s, but you got to no, see. I did not sit through that. But so, so what? No, it's been pretty good to be a Saints fan. Anyway, get, the get, point get, being is that the side, the sidebar is over and sidebar. So, <laughs> You know, you can trust these athletes, the Predators players, let's use it locally. You know, a lot of them are back. You know, I would say more than two-thirds of the roster is in Nashville right now, skating at Bridgestone Arena, you know, doing doing those workouts. So, you know, when I, you know, so they're going home, they're being safe. They're not out and about in the world. But without the bubble, there is always that risk that you are going, that you, there's always that risk that you are going to catch this virus. So it is a risk, you know, to not have them enclosed in a bubble like they were in Edmonton. Um, So that's why I think if you're not going to put them in a bubble, they need to limit the amount of exposure they're having coming and going. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Well, I guess we're going to have, as Scott said, we need information probably in the next 48, 72 hours next week. If we want to get things started around January, mid-January, early January, they got a lot of stuff to work out. So we'll look for the papal smoke coming out of Gary Bettman's 
chimney and we'll see what happens. So uh, otherwise, uh, congratulations on the new home. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yes. You can borrow the truck. You can borrow the truck if you need. I'm a good mover. I like moving stuff. I love manual labor. It's all good. (laughs) I'm not, I am not handy at all. Um, I, I, it's strange. I really thoroughly enjoy moving things. So you let me know. I got the truck. I'll come help you out. All right. Good to know. We, uh, yeah, we're very excited. We're over apartment life. I mean, I'll be. I'll, you know, the Woo Girls don't don't do it for you anymore. No, the Woo Girls don't do it for me anymore. It's amazing though that those transportainment vehicles are still able. This is a completely non. This is a complete non sequitur. But it's amazing to me that those transportainment vehicles are still able to operate even at reduced capacity. Like the last place, the last place that I want to be in the pandemic is on in a hot tub on the back of a truck oh, but there man. are people still riding them so i guess i mean at this point my here is my philosophy save who you can save if you ha- if you have friends family members who aren't afraid of the coronavirus that's their prerogative i i this is a judgment free zone but I am not if but I am not going to attempt to convert you no. if you if, yeah. at this point it's what you live the life you want to choose and you take the risks but anyway all right we're looking uh, forward you, to living in the house yes <laughs> yes I totally agree with you also did you you did see the the preds put out on social media the sort of sayonara the adios the farewell to the uh to the transportainment vehicle that they attempted in 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 game last year yes they, the they, the uh, the pedal tavern they said goodbye to the pedal tavern via social media so i thought that was clever uh and uh, smart of them to admit that that was a really silly idea it was <laughs> so. one of the it was one of the funnier things i've witnessed during my time here yes. just the yes. absolute venom spewed from the stands for for something that was for charity i know i know that part i know i, I and and i remember i talked to sean henry you know, this is, you know, back in the day where the biggest controversy surrounding the Nashville Predators was a was a pedal tavern on the ice during intermission for charity, but for charity. But I remember saying to him, like, if this if if this continues to happen, well, you just chalk it up to being a bad idea. And then I and his suggestion was putting it out on the plaza and doing like the smash <laughs> car with the uh, no, that's not with, with the with the pedal tavern, which there's I thought a was lot a great of, idea. There's a lot of Nashvilleians that would like to take a baseball bat to those pedal taverns. Yeah, I mean, I, there are other transportainment vehicles that are on my shit list much higher than the, the, the tractors, the John Deere's, anything, yep, every, anything. I, okay, whatever. You're, you're, this you're is pre- what happens when you live in Nashville. You're, you're preaching to the choir, man. Thank you so much. Of course, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Uh, go to The Athletic, pay for great journalism at The Athletic. Scott Burnside, of course, special thanks to him for joining us. Uh, please pay for his journalism as well. Also at The Athletic. Look, you pay one time, you get Adam and Scott. And like all the other great hockey writers, too, all right there in one place at The Athletics. So, so, so much. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. Adam, always a pleasure, my man. Good to talk uh, to you, bud. You too, Braden. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Rate, review, and subscribe. My name's Braden Gall. Thank you for listening to the Gold Standard Podcast right here on the 440 Sports Network.